Beloved, we return to the letter to the Philippians this evening, chapter 4, now with verses 8 and 9. They are closely related to what comes before, what came before that we looked at last, but they do have a bit of their own identity, separate identity in terms of standing on their own. Uh, But there is an overlap, and we'll look at that. Uh, You'll remember that we were told to not worry, but to pray, and the peace of God would guard our hearts in Christ Jesus. And uh, tonight we're told to how, how to think and act on those thoughts, and the God of peace would be in our midst. So there's an overlap, uh, but there's a development, and I uh, pray the Lord would bless us with these very familiar verses as we give ourselves to uh, uh, greater attention to them. Philippians 4, verses 8 and 9, hear now the word of the Lord. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, And if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which ye have learned and received and heard and seen in me, do. And the God of peace shall be with you. I've had a lot of time to be thinking about these verses Uh, anticipating and study and then having an extra week. So there's a number of things I'd like to share with you tonight in terms of how I've been processing and working with it and things I've encountered along the way that I thought, well, that's kind of what Paul's talking about. And uh, such an example is with a player from, again, my favorite sports team. It was interesting because he was hired to be the savior. He was hired to be the missing piece to make it through the playoffs, to make it to championship. And he was doing amazing this year. Then he had a season-ending injury. So much was put into the hope of this, this fella, and uh, he really relished that role, and he can't play anymore. But he asked people not to be upset for him, and this is what was impressive to me. This is, this is what uh, I think gives a sense of what Paul's telling us to do. He asked people, don't be upset for me because I'm choosing to be at peace with what I choose to think about and what I choose to do about this. I'm not going to focus on what I can't do. I'm going to focus on what I can. I'm going to focus on healing. I'm going to focus on preparing for next year. I'm going to focus on the fact that I've got a long-term contract. I've got many years to come back and try to do this right. I'm going to focus on preparing my teammates to win this year with motivations from a veteran champion. And he has continued to, almost as if he's playing, because of how he's focusing like that, that's what I'm going to focus on. And he's really, really been encouraging the team. That idea of, this is what I'm going to think about. This is how I'm going to handle this situation. This is what I'm going to do about it. I'm not going to choose to let it upset me. I'm going to choose to focus on what I can do with the good of it. You see, it's kind of what we're getting at here with Paul. You can choose about how you think about something. You can choose about what you think and what you choose not to worry about thinking about. Therefore, you can decide to act upon those kinds of things you're thinking about, and that is going to give you Christ's peace as you primarily think about Christ and what he would have you think about working in the church. When Christians focused on the best things about life and living together, they enjoy Christ's peace. Give that to you as the main idea of our text. When Christians focus on the best things about life and living together, they enjoy Christ's peace. Having Christ's peace comes from working for peace with others by thinking peaceful thoughts about them. J. Montgomery Boyce writes, 
when we pursue the highest things in life, both spiritually and secularly, then the God of peace will be with us. And we shall have the confidence that he will bless and guide us as we seek to please him. Beloved, we can have the peace of Christ by acting like Christ, by thinking like Christ. And so, beloved brethren, together, may we ponder, practice, and partake of Christ's peace. That's the message for you this evening, and those three thoughts really are the main three things in order of our verses. Sometimes the scripture just lends itself to a simple outline. Ponder, practice, and partake of Christ's peace. First of all, think like Jesus. Think like Jesus. When I was at the dentist recently, I waited in the lobby a long time. And then even longer while I was laying on my chair, I'm like, where are they? You know, they, they gave me the Novocaine and I, I sure hope this stuff doesn't wear off before they come back. And I'm looking around and it seems like everybody else is getting taken care of. But instead of letting myself focus on the waiting and getting frustrated, I thought about this sermon because I thought I would have been preaching it that Lord's Day. I had most of the sermon in my head, although it was illustrations, applications. I ended up having a lot more, and that's why I couldn't give it to you last week. I, I had too much to organize. was able to do that this week, thank the Lord. But instead of letting myself focus on the waiting and being frustrated, I thought about this sermon. I thought about this text. I chose what I thought about. Instead of fretting over the waiting and the pain, I focused on how good it was that I was going to have my tooth done. You know, I had moved it up because of the baby shower and thought the baby's coming any moment. I'm like, man, I wasn't sure. I kind of expected I was going to be in the hospital uh, with my wife and the baby, and I was still going to be going, you know, with my tongue, and it was getting where I, well, maybe this is good. I can't eat ice cream. <laughs> but, you know, I was feeling it, and I was like, Oh, because a filling had come out, and I'd love to get it taken care of. It's going to be great to have that done. I chose to focus on it's worth being here, because when it's done, it's going to be great to have this done. And it helped. I didn't feel frustrated. I felt blessed. I had peace lying in that chair instead of, I could be doing something else right now. Which, you know, I admit is my sinful old man first reaction. I'm sure you never experienced that, but that happens to me. Now, when I got the needle poked in the front gums, my gluteus maximus got some exercise as it lifted up my thighs off the chair, I have to admit. It doesn't usually happen. But I had been thinking too much about the needle. That's the word. I hate that part. It was, it's so funny. It's over so quick. It's not really that big a thing. But, oh, it's just, you know, if you think about it, it becomes a big thing. And I was trying to control my thoughts, but I don't think I was as successful this time. And so the, the dentist noticed this, <laughs> kind of apologized. And I, I had just been thinking too much, and I let it affect me more than it actually hurt. And I reassured the dentist after he apologized and says, you know, it's actually not so much physical, it's mental. Same reason I, uh, I got to try to control how I think when I have to go in to get a blood test or give blood. I just got to control how I think. It's not that I'm overly afraid, I just, just, I just don't like it. And he replied to me, yes, it's mental tension. I thought, ooh, I'm going to use that. I got out of the dentist chair later. I wrote all this different stuff down in my book before I left because I knew I'd forget. It's like mental tension. You see, when we think about the wrong things, it's like mental tension. I mean, literally, there's like, I mean, there's stuff going on in there physically, I guess, but it's not, it's, it's just thinking and it's tense. And I didn't have to tense up mentally. And then I wouldn't have had to tense up physically to the point where he noticed and felt the need to apologize. You choose what you think about, and that can affect you, including physically. Same thing for Fernanda. As you know, we keep focusing on our baby girl. We keep expecting her any moment, but because of a lot of things we've been anticipating, how we've been trying to adjust, it's like, you know, it's the funny thing I told her. You know, we are more ready for this baby to come than we ever were close. I'm the kind of guy that I just you know, throw in one shirt and I figure I'll take a shower when I get home in a couple of days. I mean, I, I got st I've had stuff in my 
car for weeks now. And we've got the suitcase. I mean, we're so ready, you know, because we thought of, it was coming. And then we're like, oh, we have to try to do this before, uh, before we might have to induce different things. And we've just been thinking maybe a little too much about that kind of stuff. And we tried recently, especially as she's going through more of those last-minute changes that are causing her anxiety, we've really been saying, let's focus on our baby girl. Let's just think about this time next week, one way or the other, she's going to be with us. Let's think about her face. And I was sharing that with her this morning as she was, she was struggling. And it brought a smile to her face and happy tears to her eyes that were just before full of hormone-induced anxiety. We just chose to think about the baby's going to be here. It's nothing so much about the process. Let's think about the baby. And she has learned already by experiencing birthing babies before that she's in control of her body. And she can guide it with how she thinks, how she prepares, and how she delivers. While I was working on my sermon today, she texted me from home and she said this, God knows everything. We don't have control about anything. Only he has. I am glad the process is in the end. And it included images of praying hands and a heart. And I was blessed to see that because, you know, she was really struggling today with the hormones and apparently what can tend to happen right before. So get ready. I, hopefully I'll be able to finish the sermon. I say that and then I'll see you Thursday, right? But um, I was encouraged to see how she handled that. You know, God knows everything. We don't have control about anything. Just this resolve of God knows what he's doing. I don't have to think about all of what this and that or what ifs. Only he has control. We don't. And I'm glad the process is in the end. And after that, then she wrote, now go get me some pickles and ice cream. No, just kidding. Just kidding. I made that part up. You see, we had, we had tried to move things along based on a lot that the doctors forced us to focus on, and it was starting to get us a little nuts. So, And her body chemicals are moving along near to birth, making it hard to have peace. But here she got it, beloved. It was beautiful to see today. And it's beautiful to see when she got here after she got a nap and worked on handling things. Uh, I've never seen a pregnant lady skip before. She was mimicking our little two-year-old. I got to tell you, I'm going to try to get a video of it. <laughs> but it was beautiful to see when we skipped, just like the kids were kind of happy. That was self-induced by thinking, you see. Choosing what to think about, even when the chemicals are trying to make you think otherwise. And she had peace and joy. You know, even suffering Job made it through his suffering crucible saying this, when he hath tried me, I shall come forth as gold. I'm going to be gold. It's going to be gold. I'm going to get there. I'm going to focus on that. In a recent show I enjoy, a lady was up very late in the kitchen by herself preparing some food that took a lot of special effort, and it was for a community event. And I don't recall the details, maybe because I don't know a lot about cooking, but it was, the idea was it was kind of a pain. It was a lot of work. And another lady came downstairs and marveled over how she worked so hard. And kind of part of the story this time was she's just, she's just never getting a break. They actually, I think it was the episode where they, they sent her away to take a break. They said, you need a break now. She had fallen and gotten hurt later. But she worked so hard and always with such a great attitude. With a, always with such a peaceful spirit. And the other lady was just marveling over this in a, in a, in a nice way, an encouraging way. And this lady answered, and she said, I committed myself long ago with whatever it is to see the beauty in it. I committed myself to see the beauty in it, to find the thing I can focus on and see the beauty in what I'm doing, even with all of the challenges. This relates to the first command, verse 8. There's two commands. The first is this in verse 8. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, 
Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. The first command, choose to think about certain kinds of things. Ponder. Determine what you will ponder about. What is commendable? Think on those things. Now, we, I considered going through each of those things, but I think this is a bit of a paraphrastic comment. It's paraphrastic comment. It's, he's, he's just saying, like, think about this kind of thing. I'm sure you can go to many Puritan writings to have lots of analysis of each of those things. But, but really, I don't want to get tripped up on that because the main thing is to command, think about such things. That's, the, that's really the focus. Think about such things. We generally understand what these things are. But he says, think about them because the problem is we're so tempted to neglect how we choose to think about such things. Find, select them, and give our attention to them. Give our thoughts to them rather than other things. Charles R. Erdman sums it up as this. Whatever moral excellence exists, excuse me, whatever moral excellence exists and whatever praise it deserves, think on those kinds of things. Focus on such things rather than whatever multitude of sins and stupidities we might focus on that the Bible says love wisely overlooks with others. That alone will give you peace. More on that later. Because you are what you think. You are what you think. Maybe you could say you become what you think. Proverbs 23, verse 7. For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. So you might be careful. Think about the last verses of the last sermon and be careful that you don't become a worry wart. Nobody likes a wart on the body of Christ. Is what you are thinking about True, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report. Can it be summed up as something of virtue and praise? If not, stop thinking about it. That's the command. Verses 6 and 7 earlier, be careful for nothing. Don't be anxious or worry. Take no thought about what worries you. Reflected with a similar idea in Matthew 6, verses 25 to 34 in the Sermon on the Mount. We considered that last time, but let's recognize as it relates to worry and as it relates to having peace, not only prayer, but thinking, particularly, think not about this, think about this. Think not about this. Think about this. That's largely what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew 6 with a very close parallel to Paul here. Instead of thinking about what worries you, think about what God is doing for you. The message for that sermon, again, still by far the most listened to message on our sermon audio page. Keep changing the way you think. Keep changing the way you think. Now, let me ask you the question again. Is what you are thinking about true, honest, just, pure, lovely, of good report? Can it be summed up as something of virtue and praise? If so, if yes, keep thinking about it. And let it crowd out other thoughts that are not. That's the main thing of the command. Choose what you think about. You don't have to obsess about certain things. You don't have to. 
You are in control of your thoughts. Oh, it may take a whole lot of discipline to redirect those thoughts, especially if we've let ourselves go for many years obsessing. But we are able to think. And in Christ, we are definitely able to think. And we can think the best. We can choose to think about something we don't like or we think we know is wrong and actually may not even be. How many things do we think and worry about and get mad about that don't even prove to be true, especially about someone else? But uh, then also, we can choose to think about the good things. You know, I could focus on that, but I'm going to focus and think about this about that person or this thing. I have the ability to do that. Christ and Paul are commanding me, but praise the Lord, even just giving me this wonderful benefit of choosing what I spend time thinking about. This doesn't mean that we don't pay attention to negative things, that we don't think or pray about them. You understand all of scriptures, but the general idea here, and we'll get to where I think Paul is mostly driving in it later on, but we choose how we think. Charles R. Erdman writes this. When he, that is Paul, when he insisted that if his readers have faith and resort to prayer, The peace of God will guard their hearts and minds. He proceeds at once to insist that his readers must do their part by controlling their minds and thoughts. Let alone emotions, right? But that's going to be by controlling your thoughts. He goes on to say, Nothing can be of greater vital importance than a proper control of thought the effects on which a man allows his mind habitually to dwell determines his acts, his career, his identity. Trusting that you identify as Christians. A word to the wise about the intelligent use of your smartphones. Just some application. We had fun with this a little bit Wednesday night. Let me review. Henry E. Anderson writes, We are not quiet enough before God, and we are not thinking enough. I recall a pastor years ago in New York, it struck me, he said, you know, sometimes when we're driving, we don't need to have the Christian music station on and the Christian talk station on as good as they are. Sometimes we, we really should just exercise ourselves in quiet before the Lord that we, would, that we would think and think for ourselves. Now that being said, I'm going to share some nice nuggets from radio again, but there's a place for turning it off. Again, Anderson writes, we are not quiet enough before God and we are not thinking enough. Sometimes we wonder if the world is getting too noisy. The gramophone, the cinema, and the wireless may become curses if they hinder men from thinking. Of course, the gramophone, how long ago was that? The cinema, we understand the movies. Now, when he says the wireless, he's speaking about the radio. This is a a, a British way of speaking about the radio. But he says they all may become curses if they keep us from thinking. When was it written? I don't know. I can't figure it out. I've looked it up online. I, I can't even find it online, which is unusual. But it's a little book I found here in our library, outlines on the Philippians by a missionary. I estimate looking at the gramophone and thinking about some things, maybe late 1800s, maybe early 1900s, this was written. At the latest, the 1980s, the gramophone, I, I found apparently, by the way, again, the gramophone is that big cone with a little record goes through and you can hear it through the gramophone. Apparently that lasted to the 1980s. I grew up in the 80s, I don't remember it. Although I do remember in elementary school, there was this big RCA dog, listening like this to the gramophone. That's the only gramophone I ever saw. It wasn't a real one. It was this big, giant statue. So apparently they were good to the 1980s until the cassettes came in. Children, I'll try to explain to you later what a cassette is. Um, Just joking. They know what it is. But uh, my, my, my point of drawing that out is that was written a long time ago. 
before the days of the kind of technology that we have. And he was concerned about what's things like just the radio and the cinema and the gramophone, being able to listen to things at home at least sometimes. What that would do for our ability to be spending time thinking. That was a long time ago. Can you imagine what he would think about the difficulty of trying to think today as Christians? Uh, Similarly, Kenneth West says thinking is careful reflection. You need time to carefully reflect. And he writes this, How scarce a commodity this is in our mechanized age. We need to be able to carefully think, carefully reflect, and how hard it is for, to do, for us to do this in this mechanized age with all this modern technology. When do you think he wrote this book? Also, I got from the library here at church. 1942. Can you imagine the horror he would have with that question in our time? And this isn't to make us feel guilty. These things can be very useful tools. I have one. However, they can also be very dangerous. As they say, the tool's for us. We're not for that tool, (laughs) right? But let's just recognize the challenge of being able to think. It takes time to think. Now, recently I heard on Christian radio while I was driving this nugget, among others, I've shared with you recently. The, the radio, I guess you would say DJ, on-air person, I don't know what you call them these days. Um, he said a study shows that if you start your day not looking at your phone for the first hour, your day goes remarkably better. Think of the cumulative effect also. I know some of you always tried this and you said what a blessing it is. I haven't done it yet, so I'm not trying, you know, it's just a suggestion, something to consider with all of this to be able to think. But he said, I did start trying this. I don't look at my smartphone for the first hour of the morning. And he says, absolutely, my day is so much better. Well, frankly, at least it's a lot more likely you're going to spend time thinking and praying and thinking about God's word, right? Proverbs 4, verse 23 says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. It's not speaking so much about emotions, but your thoughts. Beloved, help clear your head to think clearly, to think at all. (laughs) Frank Thielman writes this, The way we think determines how we act. What we think as Christians does matter, for it will inevitably influence what we and those under our influence do. Parents, we definitely should think about what we've just thought about as it relates to those under our influence as our children. How the way we think and spend our time with what we do or don't think will affect those under us and how they think and then what we and they do. We need to be teaching our children how to think and to think and the value of it as Christians. It will influence what we do and others under our influence do. And what you and we do is equally important. Act like Jesus. Think like Jesus. And act like Jesus. So what if I was at the dentist and I didn't think the best and I chose to keep getting frustrated about how late I was and I didn't like the way that I wasn't particularly pleased with how the dentist was. I think he was rushed. And it's funny how I felt like he was, literally he was throwing his tools on my chest. You know, I'm like, I can't believe this. I'm thinking like, hey, the tooth is getting fixed. I'm sure he knows what he's doing. And he did and it's been fine. But what if I didn't? What if I just got distracted and frustrated and I got up and I sat up and I said, I can do this myself. Just give it to me. Oh, yeah, okay. Uh, what if I tried? What if I was fighting the dentist and the assistant and the water sprayed everywhere? And like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And everybody, what if I did that because of the way I was thinking and then acted? I would not be able to fix my own tooth. 
and I certainly wouldn't be allowed back. And I'd still have a cavity, only a bigger one now, with a whole lot of pain once the Novocaine wore off and probably torn gums. And I'd need to be looking for a new dentist, but who knows if one would have me then. I'd certainly not have peace. I'd certainly have more pain based on what I do, based on how I think. This leads us to the second command, verse 9, the first part of verse 9. So the, verse 8 tells us you have to think about certain things. Verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. We're at the end of the letter for Paul. I've talked about a lot of things. We've worked with each other for years. You know me well. What you've learned from me, what I'm teaching you, what you've observed, you obviously recognize the effects in me. You must do it yourselves. Follow Paul's example in following Christ. Do these things. Not only think about these things, including thinking about the kinds of things he gives as an example that are good to follow, and do these things. Remember, James says, don't be a hearer of the word only, but also a doer. Now, if you're thinking rightly about God's word, you won't be able to do anything but do what it says if you're actually thinking about it, but you must do these things. Put your pondering into practice. Such as chapter 3, verse 17, he's already said, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. So one thing to be doing is look at those who are the best examples in church, in church history, in the Christian community, and follow their examples. Do what they do. Think what you're supposed to spend your time thinking about and spend your time doing the right things you should be thinking about. Action. Otherwise, it's just theory. Remember that scriptures principally teach, our catechism teaches us, what man is to believe concerning God and what duty God requires of man. Think and do. So think about this. While Paul was in prison and he's writing this and saying what you should spend your time thinking about and what you should spend your time doing, what is he doing? He's writing this letter to encourage the Philippians while he's chained to a Roman soldier 24 hours in prison. But that's what he decides to do with his time. He chooses to think and be productive for the gospel and use wherever he is, whatever his situation is, for the advancement of the gospel and the encouragement and upbuilding and edification of the church. So he wrote this epistle about what to think and do, as he's obviously having to do that for himself. This also certainly needs to include the practice and discipline of prayer that he talked about last time. That's a doing. Prayer is a doing. It's thinking, but it's a doing also, isn't it? Turn your cares into prayers, as one commentator spoke of it, verses 6 and 7. Kenneth West says this, the peace of God in verse 7 talks about keeping worry out of us. Here I would say the thinking about God brings the God of peace into us. Actions may speak louder than words, but they certainly most often express what you're thinking about God and Christ and his church and what you're thinking about yourself in Christ and in his church. Paul would say on behalf of himself, Timothy, Epaphroditus, Clement, follow us in following Jesus in the way Jesus thinks and the way Jesus acts upon the way he thinks. After thinking peace, Do the work of being peacemakers. 
First Thessalonians 4, verse 1. Furthermore, then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as ye have received of us how ye ought to walk and to please God, so ye would abound more and more. Just as with our thoughts, so with our actions. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 12. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Uh, there's a thing, uh, we talk about adiaphora, things that are, they're, they're not wrong. You can do them, you can choose not to. We have certain freedoms, but we still need to be thinking about and acting about, I might choose to spend my time and actions thinking and doing these things, but it's not most expedient. It's not going to help me grow the most in the Lord. It's not going to do the most for the advancement of the kingdom. Beloved, think properly and act accordingly. Dennis Johnson writes this, Ponder and practice the beauties of Jesus. I love that. That could almost be the summary for this, for this message, this scripture. Ponder and practice the beauties of Jesus. If you think and act like Jesus in terms of having God's peace, you will be like Jesus. So think like Jesus, act like Jesus, and be like Jesus. Jesus, who could sleep in a boat rocked about by the waves of a storm. He always found time to commune with his father, as busy as he was. Got up early to do it, and as I've been uh, revisiting a few books, it's interesting how so many of them emphasize most of the people you will learn about in church history who the Lord used in special ways got up early to spend special time with the Lord in the quiet, just like Jesus. Be like Jesus, where others saw sinners, he saw someone who needed healing, needed the gospel. He loved doing his Father's will, and when that included going from Gethsemane to Golgotha, he was able to go forward to Jerusalem with his face like a flint, and at peace through the mental and physical anguish. And so here we have the third part of Paul's message tonight, a promised reward for obeying the commands about what to think and how to act. First command, think about these things. Second command, do these things. And obviously, not the others. And the reward is the last part of verse 9. You're going to get blessed. You're going to get a reward if you do this. And the God of peace shall be with you. I wish I had more fruit of the spirit of peace. Okay. Are you praying or are you worrying? Your choice. You choose the fruit as the result. Okay. Are you thinking about the kinds of things that will bring the God of peace in you more? Are you doing the kinds of things that will bless you with peace? Or not? Your choice of what you get as your experience. But this promise of a reward when you think the way God would have you think, what God would have you think about, when you do what God would have you focus your time doing, he'll give you the God of peace. If you think and act for peace, you will have the peace of Christ, the Prince of Peace with and within you. Pondering and practicing the best provides perfect peace. Similar to the reward of prayer in verses 6 and 7. Pray instead of worry. Peace. The peace of God that will guard your heart in Christ Jesus. Thus, remember, that was the motivation uh, in verses 6 and 7 for don't worry, be praying, because you'll have the peace of God. 
Keeps your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Passes all understanding. You just have that supernatural encounter with God. And he'll give you his supernatural perspective. And you'll have peace. So here then be thinking and be doing the best things. And have the best peace that comes from God alone. That is not of this world. He says, I have a peace I give you. It's not of this world. Well, the world chooses to worry. And the world chooses to think about what it wants to harp on and gripe about. And then it acts accordingly. And it doesn't have peace. William Hendrickson writes this. And this is a beautiful thing. Peace. The kind of peace we're talking about here with Paul. Peace is the smile of God reflected in the soul of the believer. It is the heart's calm after Calvary's storm. It is the firm conviction that he who spared not his own son will surely also, along with him, freely give us all things, Romans 8.32. You might write this one down. Isaiah 26, verse 3, and we had a sermon, I believe, last year. Isaiah 26, verse 3, Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on thee, because he trusteth in thee. Remember to think about this. Romans 5, verse 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Dennis Johnson writes this. Instead of exhausting your mental energy on the futile what-if treadmill, focus your thoughts on the true Honorable, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. Beloved, don't you and I need to be thinking about Jesus more and what he's done more for us? And have that peace instead of the worry treadmill. (laughs) I like that image, right? You go to the pet store, I don't have one of these rodents. You know, little guys, to see all Man, relax, guy. <laughs> Don't be like that. And then you give yourself to him and his people in love, focusing on liking and focusing on living with what is most worth your time and actions. And act on this. Colossians 3, verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts. You see, submitting to these commands, receiving that peace, is letting God rule in your hearts. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful more verses before that is really talking about it a lot more than just me, myself, and my own little peace world. It's really much more about that we would be having peace together as Christ's people. Think about Psalm 122. We sing so often, how often it says it prays for the peace. We pray for the peace and felicity and prosperity of our brethren in the church. So this peace is much more than just thinking about my inner peace. It's very much related to Romans 5. I have peace with God. I have shalom. I have lack of war. And that gives us that experience of peace, of course. Have the peace of Christ by having the mind of Christ. Look at verse 2 of chapter 4. I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind. In the Lord. Now, that's not something he says for the first time, is it? That's a recurring theme as well. Have the same mind in the Lord. Whatever differences we have, Christ's peace must rule in us as his mindset rules in how we control our minds to think about one another in relation to ourselves under Christ. And that leads me to what I actually think might be the main peace that. Uh, he is offering. 
It's interesting where the commentaries go on a lot of these things, but I, I think this is why context is king, and it's, it's very helpful to remember the context. What's the main piece that he's probably talking about for us? It's not so much my own inner peace. He's not talking about finding a place to go do some yoga. A lot of reasons you've got to watch out for that, but he's not talking about mm, lack of any conflict, lack of any thinking. No, it's all about thinking. It's all about doing. And doing what? Doing something in the church for Christ and his body. I think the main thing he's talking about is being peacemakers with other people, especially Christ. Because frankly, beloved, a lot of people stay away from church. They don't want to deal with people. Why? Because we've got all kinds of problems. What's the main thing Paul writes about in the epistles in the New Testament? How to get along, how to work together, how to work out peace in our sinful nature and our sinful world while we wait for the new heavens and the new earth where there'll be perfect shalom and we'll never fight and we'll never have problems. So let's keep practicing. Let's keep progressing in this along the way as the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. The main context of the letter, I would say, are two main things we should remember to connect with what he's talking about with this idea of having peace. As we would choose what we think about and what we act on to have this God of peace within us, within our midst. First of all, suffering for the Savior's Christians. Rejoicing over persecution, even by other preachers, by other people, because it propagates the gospel. Chapter 1, right, particularly, spends a lot of time saying, these kinds of things are happening to me, don't worry Don't worry about me. I'm rejoicing because look what it's doing for the advancement of the gospel. See, he chooses to think about that great result regardless of what's happening. But regardless of what other churches may do with particular motives or programs, if the gospel yet is still being preached, even if it's trying to look better than others, at least the gospel's getting out there. Praise the Lord. And he's saying, look, others are trying to literally persecute me with their preaching. But it propagates the gospel, I think about that. And he's telling them the same thing. You rejoice. You're suffering with me. You're being persecuted as we've worked together for years. Think about what God is doing to advance his kingdom through it and rejoice with me over that. Don't let it get you down. Make make you rejoice because of the end result. And while noting... Those who think only of themselves, he talks about that, yet he focuses on praising God for folks like those in the Philippian church, whom he can count on. Folks like Timothy, nobody better, I can trust that guy. Folks like Epaphrodites. Focus on those who you can focus on. Choose to focus on serving them as he did with his writing and his sending. And what was the cause of that? They were thinking about him and they did something about it. Remember, Philippians is a thank you letter. Thanks for sending Epaphrodites. Thanks for sending the money. Thanks for sending your concerns. I'm okay. He's okay. I'm sending them back to you soon so you can know that. Because this is before the days of email and... Uh, you know, whatever. There's no news. I mean, you're going to have to go a long way to get back there. Not an easy trip, remember, to get back and tell them everything's okay. This is a thank you letter. Thanks for thinking about me and all the ministry. Thanks for another gift as you have for so many years to help me in the ministry. I'm thinking about you too, and I want to make sure you know. By the way, notice this, beloved, respond to messages. Show the courtesy to respond to someone expressing interest in you. That's a lost art, and I think it's similarly to smartphones and email. Maybe you have to get off whatever you're doing to have the time to think to do that. But do it. Focus on serving and writing and sending. And focus on thinking about whatever sacrifice you're making for serving Christ, whatever sacrifice the church is making for serving Christ, rejoice in what is happening What's the other major thrust of the letter to connect this idea of peace? First of all, have peace as you focus on your suffering and persecution. Focus on what the Lord's 
doing with it for his glory. But I think even more direct and important is the main thrust of the letter in chapters 2 and 3. Be humbling ourselves for the sake of the unity of his body. That the head is lifted up. As far as is possible, seeking peace with all men, especially the brethren who we ought to think better than ourselves, as we think not only of our own interests, but theirs with the same mind and example of Jesus Christ. Let's go back and look at chapter 2, verses 1 through 8, because I submit to you, I think that's the main idea of the peace he's talking about. One of the reasons we don't have enough peace is we only think about ourselves. And we don't work on having peace with other people. We run away from them. We cut off relationships. We talk about them, but we don't talk with them. And we have less peace. <laughs> I heard a pastor on the radio yesterday. I, think. I didn't catch who it was, but he said something like, if all you have to offer to the world is just thinking only about yourself, then it's like going to the DMV encountering you. (laughs) The Department of Motor Vehicles. Nobody likes to go there. But then he also did say, but when you do go to the DMV, be nice to those people too. (laughs) Now look at this. This is, I think, the main idea Paul's connecting here. Remember, he started chapter 4 with this talk of Yodius and Syntyche working it out with the same mind of Christ. So we have this peace. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 8. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, do you notice how that's the same feel of verse 8 tonight? If whatsoever is, whatsoever is, whatsoever is. Verse 2, fulfill ye my joy. Oh, that's a theme that came up again in chapter 4 just recently. Fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded. That ye, be all of you, be like-minded. Having the same love. Being of one accord. Of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind. Let each other Excuse me, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. What should you spend your time thinking about? Well, first of all, stop thinking about yourself. Start thinking about others and the right things the Lord will have you think about them. You have a concern about someone? Think about how you're going to go bless and help that brother or sister. Not how you're going to get away from them. Verse 5. Let this mind, notice this constancy on mind like Christ. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. And took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I think Paul has these two ideas mainly in mind. Don't think about your suffering. Think about how it's advancing your Savior's cause. In terms of what you focus on. Don't spend time thinking or focusing about problems with your brethren. Think about having the same mind in Christ. Focusing on humbling yourself to have unity. Serving your brethren more important. And their needs more important than your own. As far as is possible. Seeking peace with all men. Especially the brethren. And work for peace like Yodius and Syntyche by putting aside your petty differences so they don't become divisive. Focusing on being yoke fellow. Focusing on being fellow laborers. That's what Paul is saying to bring them back in chapter 4. Let's focus on how we've been working together and you've been working together for so long for the gospel. And let's focus on the fact that we still are 
as, as we have been with everyone else. Let's focus on that. Let's focus on how much we have in common over all these years serving Jesus together. Let's get back to that. And that's where we'll have real peace. That's where we'll have the peace of God and the God of peace. Because that's what he thinks about. That's what Jesus thinks about. His body as one in peace. A lack of pain, a lack of problems when all the members are working smoothly together. Knowing their place and their parts, concerned about one another, and I feel their pain, and they feel my pain, and we help one another, men in the Lord. And we let people help us, men in the Lord. As fellow laborers. So, beloved, when, when you struggle with all that may not be happening serving your church, focus on what is going on. I always say, and beloved, it's the truth, this church feels, church feels packed to me tonight. I love preaching to you all. I focus on the fact that God has filled this place with his presence tonight. There's no room. There's practically no room to squeeze in between God and you, which makes, as you know, John Knox, often quoted by uh, Deacon Raglan, a majority, a vast majority. Focus on what's going on in one of people's, one another's hearts and lives as we serve and minister one another. Let's not focus on those who come and go for all kinds of strange reasons. Let's focus on Christ and focus on one another and be thankful we have one another to serve. Let's not focus on what we might not have. Let's focus on what we do and all the resources the Lord continues to give us. Yet again, we sing Psalm 124 together in January. With a lot on the horizon. Let's not focus on who isn't here, but who is. And, and when you struggle with who is, and when you struggle with all you don't like about someone else, that just really annoys you. You know, not even really sin. It's just like Syntychus and uh, Iodias. It's just not the way I would do it. It is a kind of a stupidity, but it's not that big a thing if we're really concerned. Instead of focusing on that, focus on what is good about them. Look for the good in them that you can praise and affirm them for. Remember our study on affirmation a couple years ago? For every one correction, there ought to be three to five affirmations. In terms of how you'll bless and serve them, let that affect your thought life before you act on your thoughts. And sadly, don't we too often act on some bad thoughts and we didn't really intend to and wish we didn't. But why did it happen? Because of the way we let ourselves think. And the way we let ourselves think about one another. Focus on what is good about them. And now here, I really want you to focus on something. It's not so much, again, an individualistic peace, but it's a communal peace. I believe Paul's mostly talking about the word you in verse 9. The God of peace will be with you. Don't we like to hear that say, ah, yes, God will be with me. I'm going to have his peace. I'll see you later while I go have my cup of coffee. I go hide in my little secret closet. In my... That's not what he's talking about. The word is plural. It is you all. It's y'all. It's all y'all in Texas. The God of peace will be with you all. You want peace of God? It comes in a package deal with his people or not, depending on how you think about them and how you act with them. The whole letter's been about that, beloved. How much peace is there lacking in the church and thus the world? Because we have an individualistic religion now, which has no idea of the scriptures. Alistair Begg had some sermons recently about that and why you need to be in church. He says, the problem is, so many people don't think they need to be in church today. They don't think it matters. It absolutely has everything to do with whether you're a Christian and whether you're serving Christ. And whether you're going to have any peace. Because you and I alone don't have a lot of peace. We need our brethren. And we have more peace together as we work thing, through things together. And as we apply these scriptures together, we have more peace and joy from it. A house divided against itself will fall. And so I was curious, in the Spanish translation, at least the one that I pull up, uh, it says... Con vosotros. Forgive me about my R. Con vosotros. It means 
with you all. The God of peace will be with all of you. That's how it works. We're a body. Of course, I had reason to look up the Portuguese as well, and uh, it looks like it's more of an antiquated Portuguese, more from Portugal, but convosco, convosco. Or more modern in Brazilian Portuguese, something like com todos vocês. Well, I'm getting a double thumbs up for my wife. Yes. Okay. <laughs> With all of you. That's the peace Paul's talking about, beloved. And I, I belabor the point because I think it needs to be belabored. If we're going to be fellow laborers for the Lord and have any real peace. It's not an individualistic thing primarily. It's a communal peace of Christ as his body. As we all give our thoughts to him, the head of the body. And we are more concerned with the whole body working together than we are about whether I'm the most amazing toe. No offense, Mrs. Renner. I hope your toe feels better soon. Or I'm the most amazing earlobe. It's about how do we look together. It's not about even noticing me, the earlobe. It's about noticing the body as the whole. Really, what is it mostly about? How do we know people really? How do we think of a person really by their face? And we should all be more concerned about having the peace of God and the God of peace in us as we want everyone to be looking, as it were, to the face of Jesus Christ, our head. Beloved, together keep the peace and have Christ's peace. Think about it. Work at it. Be at Christian peace together. And then watch, about, watch what kind of peace you have in your own private time as a result. As Frank Thielman notes, take it from the painful to the pleasurable. Take it from the painful to the pleasurable. William Hendrickson gives this lovely summary of our text this evening. He says, The summary of Christian duty may be expressed In this one thought, that in all their thinking, with a view to future deeds, believers should strive to overcome evil with good. That is, that which is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, and of good report, must crowd out Whatever is base. Oh, there are base things to think about. We have to think about the things that crowd them out. He goes on to say this. Let virtue conquer vice. In terms of how you think and what you choose to think about and what you choose to do about it. You want the peace of God and the God of peace amongst you all, thus in your own heart? Let virtue conquer vice. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Love mercy. Walk with God. And then he says, I'm adding a little bit there. Then he says this at the end. Reward. What is the reward? Not only the peace of God, but the God of peace will be with them. Think like Jesus. Act like Jesus. Jesus, and be like Jesus. Ponder, practice, and partake of Christ's peace. Beloved brethren, together, ponder, practice, and partake of Christ's peace. Let us pray. O Lord God, we thank you for Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, and pray that you would help us to have the mind of Christ in how we think about our brethren in the Lord and how we think about our circumstances serving you, O Lord. And let us look for the beauty and focus on it and move forward and make peace. We thank you that 
You went through the cross to make peace for us with God. We bow before you, O Prince of Peace, and pray that you help us to think like you and act like you and thus to have more of you and your peace. Let us not worry, but be praying and go on to ponder, practice, and partake of your peace, Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. And all your people as one body together said, Amen.